Hey, it's Kristen. You're listening to Rational in Portland. Nicole Busher, president of Multnomah County Corrections Deputy Association. She's a corrections deputy from the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office, is here in the studio. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. So the first thing I know everybody's going to want to talk about is these two articles in Willamette Week by Lucas Manfield. One is dated February 20th, 2024. The other one was dated January 31st, 2024, and there are apparently accusations floating around about Multnomah County corrections deputies who allegedly encouraged and sometimes participated in, according to the February article, a series of more than a dozen assaults of inmates at the county's downtown jail in 2018 and, and 2019. And I, I know there's some sort of investigation going on, and I would never ask you to comment on that, but is there anything at all that you can say about these articles and the content of them or or what's going on here? Yeah, I think part of um, what people have asked me for comments in the last week or two, and I think this needs to be a conversation. I think people don't know a lot about corrections and the accountabilities that that we have within our facilities. Um, So I just kind of wanted to explain the process. Um, So for these these guys that um, are currently out on leave, um, there was a complaint made um, to a defense attorney, and so an investigation, you know, they looked into it. Um, our sheriff at the time, Sheriff Reese, um, wanted to make sure that there was being no crimes, these, you know, facilitating fights, anything like that. So um, September of 22, our three of our deputies went out on leave, um, and OSP opened an investigation on these allegations that there were being fights or, or different crimes being committed, con, um, committed within our facility. So OSP um, investigated this f- until May of 2023. They did multiple interviews. They compiled a very large report that was then submitted to the DA's office. Um, the DA's office, so once a criminal investigation is, is opened, it's under the, len- the lens of, is there any criminal behavior that's going to be charged? Um, so the DA's office in May um, was given this report. They reviewed it because it's very large until November of 2023. At that point, the DA's office sent out a memo, and they brought forward um, a couple things that I, I wanted to read. Um, so part of when after they reviewed everything, um, they stated there are significant concerns about the veracity, their testimony, testimonial value, and serious impeachment risk associated with them. They're talking about um, the defendants that, that brought these accusations against our um, deputies. 
For example, a significant CD who gives ex information regarding multiple assaults in 5A also admits under oath in prior unrelated trial to lying under oath and withholding information during their testimony during a proffer, under oath in a grand jury and trial. Other sources of information have admitted to engaging in violent crimes, including homicide, and, ha and have been convicted or, of or participated in other significant violent person felonies. So when you are charged, or not charged, but accused of a criminal um, crime, it's the it's the standard of reasonable doubt so the da's office looked at this investigation through this lens and did not think that there was enough evidence um, to be able to charge these guys so once the criminal investigation is wrapped up then what happens is our agency will look at it that's the next layer and um, we have what they call it's it's um it's an IA investigation or an administrative um, part of what what we look at as an agency to see if there's any criminal behavior, any policy violation. Um, so now that an internal affairs investigation is is opened, and under that it is preponderance of the evidence. So it's a lower bar. So that investigation opened. Well. There was information released um, with this investigation, so our sheriff decided now to generally, um, when we have any sort of um, administrative IA um, that's open on any of our staff, it's done by, we have an inspector who is a civilian, he's also a lawyer, and then we have different sergeants that sit on this this board. And the um, IA is? Internal Affairs. Okay. So what they're looking at is if there's any policy violation um, that's been um, committed. And there's a whole whole variety of different things that could be committed, and there's different standards. It could be an oral reprimand, a letter of reprimand, up to the point of firing. So they're going to look at it through this lens. Um, my job as part of the union is not to make any sort of judgment on this. My job is to ensure that the process has been fair and reasonable and objective. So, um, you know, the criminal investigation was wrapped up and now it should be an objective, reasonable process to look at whether there was any policy violations um, committed within our facility. Right now, it is through the lens of court of public opinion by all this information being out, which is very concerning to me, um, especially in the career field as corrections. Um, I don't think that our um, our job has been always painted in a a positive light. I mean, you, there's you know Shawshank Redemption, sixty days in these different things. I think they show um, what we do um, in a very negative lens. So I think it's so important that we are able to objectively look at any behavior um, in our jail and see if there is something that's being being done that we need to address. Um, and so now it's concerning to me the process moving forward, um, and I'm going to do everything I can to try to make sure that it's a fair process for the deputies being um, named in this report. Because so far, what has been released has been pretty much one-sided. Um, I don't think that there's there's been an explanation from from our side. Um, and I'm and then again, however this turns out, I don't have um, if if these things if if they have evidence as they go through this very large report, which was not 
all, you know, completely released. Um, you know, but I, I haven't been able to see it, and so we haven't been able to um, objectively see if there was wrongdoing. But Willamette Week saw the report, as far I, as I, we know? I, as far as I know, my understanding is is the completed report by OSP is over 10,000 pages. So um, our sheriff had sent out an email and part of the report to us, um, which was about 150 pages, but that is a, a lot of interviews, um, and there's a lot more to this report than what we've been able to see. Um, and, and somebody's going to have to go through that. This outside entity who is going to be completing this investigation. Um, and so once that's they go... internal affairs, which that's you were correct. talking about. Yep. So it's not, but it's not going to be internally within our agency. It's going to be somebody outside of it just to be objective. So internal affairs is going to hire somebody from outside to look at this report as part of their investigation? Our sheriff will. The sheriff will? Yeah. So and, and that will inform the internal affairs investigation? Or no, it's they're, they're going to complete the entire investigation. So what at, once they go through this report, they will go through um, and see wherever they think that there is a policy violation that has been um, committed by our staff members, and then they will issue us a notice of complaint once the entire investigation is completed um, internally. And so they will issue us a notice of complaint, and we, we will be able to look at it and say, okay, on these dates, this policy violation they're alleging um, occurred, and then we're able to give their, the deputy side of the story, which I think is really important because they want to be able to say their side, but right now it's an open investigation, so nobody can say from, you know, from yeah. MCSO, we can't say anything. Not even the union can talk in this instance. No, because they, we don't know what policy violations are being alleged, because that hasn't even been completed yet. I know the DA's office has looked at the entire case and said, I don't have enough here to charge these guys because of these different reasons. Um, and so now we need an objective process to say, okay, here's a lower bar. Is there been any policy violations and what kind of discipline will be associated with those policy violations if they are found sustained? What, what would you say to the argument? And I know Aaron Schmaltz has answered this question um, a couple times before, and it, but it, it just continues to come up. As the president of the corrections union, what do you say to the argument that, hey, you know, I we don't believe, somebody says, I don't believe in public unions, and I particular don't, particularly don't believe in police, public unions, because they're just there to make sure that bad cops stay where they are. No. I, I, I'm sure you've heard that. Yes. I, I am in no way here to defend anybody's behavior. I think whether you, any part of Ellie, whether you're a police officer. Ellie is law enforcement. Yep, yeah. Ellie, um, law enforcement. Whether you're in corrections, whether you're a police officer, whatever you do, none of us want any, we don't want to be tainted by bad behavior. If there are these, these kind of, if these things are going on within our facility or on the street, we don't want to be associated with that as well. Um, I am not here to protect anybody. Um, the only protection I want to make sure that I'm providing for our members is an objective process that you can look through a lens and say, yes, this is what happened. Because just reading some of these articles and what I know, we get it wrong oftentimes. So in, I have often told um, my staff, because I've um, sat through many IAs and done rebuttals, um, 
I read something, I'm like, wow. By the time it's looked through a lens and investigated and I get the end product, then it's it's completely different, which anybody that's gone through anything, you know, divorce, custody, there's always more to the story, right? You can, you can make an accusation, somebody has one side of it, um, but by the time it all ends up, you know, you boil it down to the truth, Oftentimes it changes, and that's all I want is the process to be able to objectively look at this. If there was some sort of misconduct, I don't support that in any way. Which just seems, and this is I, this is just my commentary, but and you, you don't need to add to this. I know it's sensitive because there's an investigation ongoing. I just think that sounds very difficult to do under these circumstances where reports have been given to the media, and now there are two articles about it, and obviously... Public opinion isn't great right now and uh, in regard to corrections given these articles, and then it create it just seems to create some sort of uphill battle about objectivity, even if you know even if you're within the corrections department and you've read these articles, it's just it's difficult to read somebody's take on it and then keep sifting through evidence. Um, so this is it's a strange seems like a strange situation. Talk to us a little bit about corrections because when when people hear corrections i mean i was thinking things like probation but you you all don't do probation nope um we so corrections we have two facilities we have um maximum security jail mcdc which we share with central precinct downtown and we have inverness jail but we also which people i think oftentimes don't think about we also um have court services, so we have 26 deputies that are assigned to the courthouse. Uh, we have close street supervision. We have six deputies there and a sergeant, um, and that is out-of-custody supervision. Um, it's the highest level of supervision um, out-of-custody. Oftentimes, these are Measure 11 crimes. Uh, we have a classification unit. We have a transport unit. We also have specialty teams within our jail. Uh, we have a CERT team. We have a dive team. We have a CNT team. So, we have 376 funded uh, correction deputy spots. We're running about 350 with staffing. And then um, we have about 43 correction sergeants. So um, we are by far the largest part of the, the sheriff's office. Um, we're about four times bigger than the road. Now, it sounds big, but are, are you all hurting for people the same way Portland police are hurting for people? Yes. Can you say anything more about that? <laughs> well, I think, so we share a building with Central Precinct. So all the the protests and riots that were going on in 2020, um, we had people coming up on retirement just like everywhere else. Um, but I think this definitely um, increased the rates of retirement. Um, it, was, it was a long few months for our staff. Um, so... I think law enforcement in general across the country is having a hard time recruiting, um, especially in corrections. Um, you know, I grew up, I'm older, you know, watching Chips, and there's like, Me you know, too. SVU yeah. and all these different, yeah. there's no positive story about <laughs> corrections. Yeah. So so we're, people are not clamoring, you know, as kids saying, I want to be a corrections That's true. Deputy. We all love the motorcycle cops, but yeah. you know, it, we never... We never get to the point where somebody wants to be working in the jail. Yeah, it, you know, it's, and it's such, so I've, I give this analogy to a lot of people. Um, so when there's a major accident, an ambulance shows up and they're taken to a hospital. Um, and all the aftercare, re, you know, everything that needs to be done is, is there. 
when there is a shooting, there is a major crime in Portland or anywhere else, those people are taken to your jail. So from, you know, that transporting officer to arrive in our facility, we take care of everything after that. You know, we're taking them to arraignments. We're taking them to court. If they have holds in other counties, if, um, you know, we're transporting them to other counties, we, um, you know, care for them. We give them medical needs, feeding, all these different things, we encompass all of that. And I, I think we're kind of uh, left out of, of that conversation. And to be honest, you know, showing people getting, you know, meds for detoxing or getting clean clothes or getting three meals a day or getting to court, that is not action-packed. But I think it's a very important part of the, the justice system, and I think that's what we provide. Talk to us a little bit about the jail system in in portland if you can um my understanding is we're not using our jail capacity yes so i think the philosophy um from some of our commissioners and even in part our former sheriff so are these county commissioners correct the yes. county commissioners so county commissioners okay yeah is that if, the, if you cut jail beds uh you would cut crime and that is just plain wrong um what has happened is we've slowly cut beds and cut staffing. Um, I know since I started, there's been 25 positions cut off of our, our deputies. And currently, we have 250 beds that sit vacant out at Inverness Jail. Um, three of our dorms are temporary fun- temporarily funded um, out at Inverness. And um, you know, our sheriff went down to Salem because they were funded by Salem. Salem decided not to to fund them for different reasons. So our county commissioners temporarily uh, funded them for this budget cycle, and we'll see how that plays out. But these are three large dorms out of IJ that would have to shut down. If, IJ is Inverness Jail, correct? Um, Inverness Jail. If um, so, there's two. Just to just to clarify, two jails. There's Central Precinct and Inverness in within the city of Portland. There's so there's MCDC which we share with Central Precinct. Okay. Um, and then there's Inverness Jail. Yes. Okay. So I'm sorry, I interrupted um, you. Oh, that's fine. Uh, we have, I mean, the fact that we have an entire wing of our jail completely vacant that just has bunks and showers and rec rooms um, that the taxpayers have paid for, and I think we would all agree that we have a drug and crime problem in Portland, and those bu- those beds are not funded, um, and. You know, How many it, beds exactly? 250. 250 beds are sitting empty. Correct. In jail. So um, this happened, what, during... I think that there's been a swing. So, um, so Portland used to be very innovative and progressive. We used to have five facilities. We used to have things uh, like we used to have a TSI program. Uh, we used to have um, restitution center, reentry center, where people could go out and work, but they would come back and stay here, and they would get drug testing. Um, they were able to pay off different fines since restitution center. Um, and have some sort of stability um, in our community. Those those programs have shut down. Essentially, what has happened in Portland is they want most people supervised out of custody, and they have only condensed our populations in the jail to the most violent, pretty severe crimes, and then also behavior related. So anybody that could possibly, even if you're you know charged with a measure eleven and could be supervised out of custody, that is the direction that um, our county has decided to go. 
do you recall what year this was when this started? It's been it's been slowly cut. so you know we always have to have a you know a percentage of our budget cut and so they've slowly you do. that this is just a standard deal yeah so right now they around. they've you know they, like a two percent budget cut you know the commissioner will say you have to you know shave down you know two percent so you know you, pretty soon you know you, you start every to lose every year they tell you this yeah so you know you can have um, you know we lost our sex trafficking sergeant oh my god. Um, you know, we had, we had, we have different things. Like we used to have a kitchen deputy. Um, we used to have, you know, more, a lot more positions, but they've slowly been just trimmed down until we're down. I don't know what more you could cut within our facilities, which I think is concerning when we have so much crime going on in Portland that if we were to shut down those three dorms and they wouldn't be funded, uh, we would have to matrix out. So we can only get up to a certain capacity in our jail. If we get up to 90 to 95%, we have to start matrixing, um, which means releasing people that have been told that we need to. And before COVID, we used to matrix. We used to run pretty pretty close to that 95%. We'd have to matrix. Um, with COVID, um, you know, the, the populations have, have dropped. But if we shut down those dorms, we would have to let release or matrix out anywhere between 80 to 140 people in our custody. And these particular people, are they are they people accused of misdemeanors? Are they, I mean, what is the level of... Well, Noma County doesn't hold hardly any misdemeanors. We don't hold misdemeanors anymore. We are hoard, holding, if you look at the people charged with murder, rape, sex abuse, assault ones, assault two, that is essentially all of our dorms. Are those all Measure 11 crimes? Correct. And Measure 11 is just sort of Person to person, the worst of the worst. Yep. Yep. And and that's all you're you're saying. That's all we hold in Multnomah County anymore. So yeah. unless you're engaged in some kind of horrific person to person crime, you're not going to be held in Multnomah County. Right. And even if you are charged with those kind of crimes, if they think that you can be supervised on the outside, oftentimes you are released. Um, even a, an accused murderer. Yeah. Yeah, really? I, I've fingerprinted people that have rape ones, uh, people out on supervision on, on murder, attempted murder. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty. I, I think people will be pretty shocked um, the kinds of folks that are not being held. Um, so if you are being held, it's because you probably cannot be released out of our jail. And it's it's Multnomah County commissioners that are in charge of this policy. I, no, I mean I think who it's do a, we complain to here. I, I think it's it's a variety of reasons. I think um, reimagining um, right. you know, the criminal justice system, what you want to charge people with. I mean the fact that. Um, you know, we have probation and drug treatment just for Measure 11 crimes. Um, I know. That that was pretty shocking to me. We don't offer, because we don't hold anybody in our custody that's not Measure 11. So if you, if right. you wanted There's to, nobody to send to drug court then, right? Correct. Yeah, there's nobody else to send except Measure 11 yeah. alleged offenders. So I, I think the public doesn't quite understand that, you know, we, we, we're not holding people on... We, and I don't remember a time we were holding just people on possession charges or these very low misdemeanor charges. According to y'all's correction statistics, we never have. Mm-mm. Oregon never did it. And mm-hmm. also according to Nathan Vasquez, who's a working DA in Multnomah County, and came in here and, and talked about it and said that everybody was bought and sold some lie that we were incarcerating people for drug use or drug possession. And he said, you know, Oregon actually never did that. No. Never happened. Like, forget about the reimagining stuff. We just never did that. 
Yeah, and I, I know Aaron has, has talked to you about it, but since I've, I've worked here in corrections for 10 and a half years, and it used to be an anomaly. You know, once in a while we get somebody charged with murder coming into our custody. Um, the violence that we have started to see in Portland has really escalated in the last few years. Uh, it's pretty shocking. Yeah, see, and, and so what would you say to people? Because you know the retort to that is crime is down and homicides are down. That's always the retort to that. Yeah, and I mean, I work in the court services unit, so I sit through um, trials, arraignments, settlement conferences, these different things, and because you plead to a lesser charge or things get dismissed doesn't mean that crime is down. I, I always tell people, look at Portland. Do you think we're thriving? I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a, I work for the public. I signed up um, to be a public servant. I will carry out what the public wants. I just want them to have the information to be able to make that determination. And I just make the argument to people, like, look around. Do you feel safe? Can you go to the parks? Do you um, Are you able to walk out downtown? Do you feel safe going out after dark? We used to feel that way in Portland. Yeah. We don't anymore. No, absolutely and not. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that crime is down. You're, you're feeling uncomfortable for a reason. And I think there's been a lot of changes in Portland the, last, Portland the last few years. And I think we need to try to get some of that back to clean up our city and make it safe for all of us. Yeah, I mean, what I usually say to people is homicides are down compared to what exactly? Compared to our all-time high mm-hmm. in the last couple years? Yeah. I mean... That's not what we should be comparing it to. We should be looking at pre-2020 numbers. Right. Or, or pre, I mean, I mean, really 2016, 2015 on those kind of numbers. And then the way everything just drastically skyrocketed, I don't really think it's intellectually honest to start crowing about how homicide is down. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Given the bar graph in regard to the way it skyrocketed after 2020 to some bizarre level where, you know, even our own local publications were talking about how this was a a pretty big emergency in this city that everybody was trying to figure out what the hell happened around here. Um, So, Nicole, talk about, talk to us a little bit about the... I know that you know about this. Um, we visited the Northwest Reentry Center, and I didn't even know that that place existed, actually. And I talked mm-hmm. to some PPB officers, some Portland Police Bureau officers, after we looked at it and we did a tour, which was great. And I um, really commend Brian and Garrett, who run that place, for giving us that tour and giving us some history about it um, and, and talking to us about what they do with people there because I think it's really important but the the officers that I talked to on Portland Police Bureau, they didn't even know this place existed. Right. And um, my understanding is it's a it's kind of a halfway house. It's a way to um, get people out of places like jail and help them learn how to do things like laundry. But before yeah. they get back into society. So. I think it's really important. Jails serve a function, and part of what our function is is to hold people accused of heinous crimes and hold them for trial that are probably going to go to prison. Um, That is part of our function. But what 
jails and what we used to do here in Multnomah County, which is the message I'm trying to get out to the public. And I'm not saying we're the cure-all solution for Portland, but we certainly can be a, a large part of the solution, I think, is we have all these vacant beds sitting at IJ. And That's they Inverness have Inverness Jail, yes. Correct, at Inverness Jail. And we have program rooms. They're clean. They have bunks. Um, and we used to have drug court and things like that. Uh, we, I see so many people come through our doors. We book about eighteen to 20,000 people a year through our downtown jail because we only book at the downtown jail. And we hold relatively few people in our facilities for long term unless they're charged with murder or something like that which is the majority so everybody else cycles back out the door and we all know that we have a drug problem in portland and some of the folks that are coming through our door have been through our door are in our custody 99 times 100 times so jails used to be able to and other jails like clackamas county washington county is doing a good job with their drug treatment They've actually, in Clackamas County, put drug treatment within their jails. Um, And to be able to utilize those vacant dorms for treatment and hold people accountable where you have um, your number one job while you're there is to get treatment and programs and get yourself back on your your feet. Um, Part of what the reentry center does is um, think if you you know, suffering from drug addiction, you are homeless, you, um, you don't have any resources. If you, if we were able to take somebody like that and put them in our jail and make sure that they get their, if they have a driver's license or their social security card, get them, um, treatment services, people that are suffering with mental health issues, get them stabilized. There's also, you know, people always say, well, we have outside facilities. Well, if you have an arson charge, um, a rape charge, those kind of charges are really hard oftentimes to find housing on the outside. Um, I think we could provide services like in our dorms, some of our dorms run 50 people. So one person can oversee 50 people. Um, Multnomah County just had an article, or the Oregonian just had an article a couple days ago where they spent $13 million to try to get 300 people off the street into housing. They got 36 people off the street. So to me, I don't think a lot of our programs and our our nonprofits are very effective. Um, We have layers of accountability, including public audit, oversight, and public budgeting laws, where the taxpayers are able to see, what am I getting for the money I'm spending on this homeless problem or drug addiction or mental health issues? Um, What you can hold us accountable, I think, a little bit better, and also... Um, We have a lot of the programs already in place. Um, We have like a GED program. We have a treatment readiness dorm. We don't actually give treatment. We have a treatment readiness dorm, which is really popular. Um, We, one thing that um, one of our deputies says at Inverness, helps people get like food handler permits. If you talk to any probation officer here in Portland, the number one way to prevent people from going back into drugs and committing crimes is to have them have a job, is to have them have stability. So if you were to pluck people out of their lives when they're in the throes of addiction and different things like that and focus on getting them programs, getting them treatment, getting them stabilized before you reintroduce them back into regular society, 
I think we could set people up for success. Um, we used to do that, um, you know, with our programs and um, like restitution centers and things like that where we're not doing anything like that. The only thing we're doing now is holding Measure 11 crimes and holding them until they go to prison. Instead of and, you, and you're saying we're not even holding all those people. Correct. Right. And, you know, I, I think that corrections um, is looked through a lens where it's not always favorable. Um, I can tell you we have had some issues with drugs in our jail, but we have issues. We had eight people overdose and die in our streets in Portland in one weekend. Um, I know personally I have uh, been part of our Narcan for people that were completely not breathing, no heart rate, within the last six months. Um, this, this is a major issue that we're seeing in every part of our society and and in the jails are we perfect no but we are condensing people that are drug addicts and we are actually providing them care and i can tell you we've saved a heck of a lot more people um, than people realize within our jails and our facilities when when did this opinion surface at least in portland i i don't know what it's like in the rest of the country but when did this opinion surface that Jail is an evil thing. Even if we're sending people there who've committed murder, who've committed Mm -hmm. rape, we don't care. Jail is not where we want to send anybody is sort of the message that we seem to have been getting out of Multnomah County, which is why, honestly, I mean, just in my opinion, I think that the Wapato Jail which, you know, Jordan Schnitzer ended up buying and turning into a homeless shelter, the county could have done that. Um, and, of course, they refused to do it. And after spending money to build it, former Chair Kafori wanted to bulldoze it. And we ended up, you know, uh, Jordan Schnitzer ended up buying it from the county for less than he was going to before because we just, the county had this idea at the time that it's it's built to be a jail and therefore it's an evil place that we can't repurpose for anything whatsoever like it was a it's bizarre the way they talk about it like like it's a gas chamber or something i just don't understand where this notion comes from that jails are not part of civil society do you have any sense of when that shifted or has it always been like that since you started your career here um, I think it was festering uh, before, like, 2020. Um, I worked in the court system. Um, I worked in court services then as well. And there was a, a sense of, I think, distrust. Um, and I think it really escalated after um, 2020. Um, and it's, I think it's unfortunate. I, I don't think and, – and part of this is on us, and that is why I'm trying to – be more proactive with the community and coming on shows like this is I want to inform people um, what we do and what we're about. We do have accountability. I I think um, the perception, um, we have not done a good job educating people of what we do. Yeah, Um, I I feel semi-civically informed and I had no idea until we met off off air about what you all did. And also, I, I agree with you. I think the positives that you're adding to the community, we people need to hear about it. Yeah, and we we are held accountable. We have high definition cameras in our jail that monitor what we do 24 hours a day. Um, so you know we have um, internal affairs unit. We have sergeant. We have layers of accountability. Um, 
that we have to treat people right and we um, have standards that I'm not sure that everybody else does. I know uh, Multnomah County has tried multiple things in the past. Like we had the tiny home project. We've tried these like little encampments um, that I, you know, pretty soon certain people are running those encampments that you don't want. And I think people have left out of the conversation and I've had um, conversations with the commissioners about this is I think it's great if you want to open Hooper Detox or something similar. But if you have nothing to protect your staff there, if it's the same kind of folks that are coming through our doors, you have to have safety, security, and accountability. And those have been left out of the conversation. Isn't that why the Multnomah County Behavioral Health Center shut down? Yes. And we even get people from back from the state hospital or Unity that are too violent. Um, too violent for the state hospital. Correct. They will, they'll send it back to us. That um, blows me away because, you know, yeah. there's been article after article. I, I can't imagine what that's like, Nicole. There's been article after article about how the state hospital only holds the worst of the worst. They do. They they, they, they do get the most severely mentally ill. Um, but they also, if that is our specialty, is being able to deal with a variety of, of folks. Um, we have a very large population now. It's 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 gone up substantially since I've started of mental health folks and I think a large part of it is the drug problem we have here um you know we don't we don't hold and it and it's a, a snowballing effect so very few people are held back in our custody if you have a parole violation or detainers um which were used to be a a, a way that um supervision held people accountable and why that is significant is if you are addicted to drugs it gave you a break from usage. People now do not are not taking a break at all. Um, they're just it's continual drug use. Instead of coming into our jail and being able to detox and have a break from that, and I think it really is impact, impacting people's mental health. And also, you know, some of the folks I've narcaned, he's like, man, this is like fourth time it's happened. I'm like, you have shut off the oxygen to your brain for many minutes and this has happened continually multiple times um that is going to have an effect on your mental health um i I think that's kind of left out of the conversation how this is affecting um people long term and i don't know if i shared this with you but me personally my brother-in-law overdosed from fentanyl Mm, um sorry uh, yeah it's horrible um you know he was kind of like some of these other folks here in portland where he had some some mild mental health issues suffered with like anxiety depression um you know so self-medicated with drugs um you know like um you know some of the mental health drugs um and worked at a convenience store and was given a blue pill one night, went home, took it, and um, it just happened to be a lethal dose. Uh, so Jeez. I see how that's affected, like, my family, um, how it's affected, you know, my wife and uh, my mother-in-law. And I can just imagine how many people here in Portland, this is affecting their families as well. And I think if we could have an intervention where, you know, we're saying, okay, obviously you are suffering. Um, you know, if you are, if you are poor in this city, um, and you don't have a lot of resources, you're on organ health plan, um, food stamps, things like that. And if you are suffering from addiction or mental health issues, trying to navigate that system is very challenging. Where that is more, I think, the jail's wheelhouse. If you have resources, you have a family, you have the ability to get these things, that's great. We don't need to hold you. But if you are committing crimes, and, and this is the argument is, you know, commissioners have, have told me, 
we can't just go arrest people and just put them in your jails. And I'm like, that's not what I'm advocating for. I'm advocating <laughs> for the people that are committing crimes, right? That are walking out of Target the, with, you know, cartfuls of, of property. Hold people accountable, right? We are going to give you the ability to get yourself clean. We're going to give you the ability to set yourself up for success. Um, and we're not doing that at all. So are you, are you saying that the Inverness Jail, which has all this empty space because we're not using all these jail beds, you're saying, okay, that's fine. In this county, we're just not interested in holding anybody. But here's the deal. We've got all this space anyway. Why can't we repurpose it for something like drug court, for, for non-Measure 11 crimes? Like you said, the person who, who steals from Target and... I mean, you know as well as I do, you look these people up that you read about in the paper, it's 36 offenses or something. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. out of control. Yeah, and and I understand people that suffer from addiction and have mental health issues, and I am saying to offer them resources to redirect the behavior, get them get them clean. and Because they will die. It's it, Fentanyl is just a matter of time, yeah. is and, it not? I mean, yeah, and, and it's, it's very unfortunate to me because I, you know, in Multnomah County, we're, we're unique because we're direct supervision. So we were in the module um, while people are out on walk, uh, inmates are out on walk. We are there talking with them. I've had multiple uh, people that were like workers in the dorms. They've just died. They've died from mm. overdoses. And it's unfortunate. They were not, you know, bad, like they're not bad people. Like you just need to be able to you know, people act differently when they come in and they're high on, you know, meth, heroin, fentanyl. Um, when they're clean and and they can, you know, get through the detox and things like that, oftentimes they're a dramatically, you know, different person. Um, and I think if we could do that for a sustained period of time to get them clean, give them the resources, I think we could make an impact in in Portland. Yeah. So, so there are all sorts of things, it sounds like, we could do with this space. We could do... Drug court for non-Measure 11 crimes. We could do, we could do a re-entry center, um, much like the Northwest Regional Re-entry Center through Inverness, where we help more people, yeah, transition back into society. Yeah, and and another thing is, which you know has not been brought up, but they have not invested in our jails at all. Uh, like we have flooding a couple times a year um, in our downtown jail and central, central precinct where there is water and raw sewage. Our pipes, our electronic system, um, like we have to address these issues that you either need to make an investment um, in the places that are providing public safety and services um, or you're going to have to completely do something different because I don't see where we're going to be able to sustain what we're doing um, if we don't start making investments in it. Well, that just seems inconsistent. It's kind of like during the riots in 2020 when they lit the jail on fire. It was just bizarre to me. Um, I know it's Central Precinct where the police are, but most people know it's also a jail. And if you, if your number one priority is the care and feeding and protection of criminal defendants, it just seems to me that protecting them from basic things like flooding would be on your list of things to do. Correct. Yeah. So, so you're saying not only does the is the does the county seem uninterested in putting people in jail, regardless of the crime that they've committed, rape, murder, whatever, 
they're once these people are in jail, they're not they don't seem to be interested in funding the kinds of infrastructure you all need to keep criminal defendants safe and sheltered. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about it, we we only book in one place in Portland, and that's our downtown facility. So if it is having flooding issues, you can't book anybody. You're going to have to look at alternative places to book people that are committing crimes. Now, that seems consistent with their goal to not book anybody. So, I mean, that that I get. Um, But if there's flooding, it seems like it probably reaches the jail at Central Precinct. Yeah, they're having they have issues as well. Um, you know, they, they they there's many things that need to be fixed within yeah. our facilities. Um, and I think you know Central Precinct's having the same issues we are because um, obviously we share the same building. Um, so yeah, there needs to be an investment in um, you know our jails in the county. Why do you think it is that more people like police officers in Portland? don't know about places like this reentry center? I think we've all get kind of, there's just a division. I mean, I, I try to, I'm trying to bridge that gap between, between, um, you know, like Portland and us. Um, we, we don't communicate well. I, I think, um, we all need to, to be at the table and have good conversations about how we can move forward as a city and how we can be part of, um, cause ultimately I think all of us signed up to work in law enforcement to try to make the city better. And we, we care about people and, I think we want to do something positive, and I think that we can do that better if we work together and talking to Portland and and, get, and giving them some options as far as resources I think would be really important is say, you know, can you guys, you know, help us under, you know, like obviously we interact with Portland police because they book people into our custody, um, but as far as like long-term solutions, I think we could do a lot better um, as far as working together to, to, to do that. Because I know they want a place to, to bring people yes. uh, that are, you know, and, and it used to be like when I first started in corrections, um, you know, we would get people that with, you know, alcohol detox, heroin, meth, almost everything now is fentanyl. And, you know, these are not folks that you can just let kind of dry out. Um, these are people that you have to really have, um, you know, like medical care available because of the risk of death. And it's, it's a different world, and it's a different world they're seeing, and it's a different world we're seeing, because obviously we're seeing the same people. Um, so I think we need to work together um, to come up with solutions. Talk to us about why you got involved in corrections. Because, you know, we just talked about how it usually it, that's not on the menu of <laughs> dream jobs. Yeah. And so... Um, can you tell us a little bit how you about how you ended up where you are? Yeah, I um, so I grew up in Oregon. I grew up in Central Oregon, and um, I started when I graduated high school. I um, worked for Department of Forestry. I was a fire, I worked in wildland firefighting. Went to college for four years, have a bachelor's, and I stayed with firefighting um, with forestry for eight years. And then um, my family has a contract firefighting business, so I did that for nine years um, in Nevada. And then I decided that I wanted to start a family. And firefighting is not something that, you know, being gone six months a year is conducive to having a family. So um, I was looking for jobs. And uh, my sister called me. She's like, I have the best job for you, corrections. And my first reaction was like, 
my sister's insane. Like, why would you ever think that I want to work in corrections? Like, that is, like, I, you know, I saw Shawshank Redemption. I know what corrections right. deputies do or officers. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not that kind of person. And uh, a corrections deputy actually reached out to me at Inverness and said, would you like to come and see what we do? And I went out there and... Uh, toward the facility and got to know a lot of the the deputies and had some great conversations and I said you know this this seems like a, a job that I would like to do like um, I think I can maybe make a difference um, and so I applied and, and went through the process um, and I, I never thought that I would be part of you know the union or anything like that but I think people would be shocked if you actually came and met our staff um, I think we are um, I work with some pretty amazing people. Uh, a lot of folks that I work with, um, we're a very diverse workforce in um, law enforcement in general, but especially here in Portland and corrections. Um, a lot of my coworkers, um, they are from Cuba, Bosnia, Russia, Denmark, Mexico. Uh, we have a pretty darn diverse uh, group, and they're just a great group of people. And I, I wanted to do something to... To bring this message out to people, um, I think that they do the best job they can every day, and I think we try to make a difference. In what ways do you feel like you can make a difference through this kind of a job? So we, you know, like we have out of custody supervision. Um, I think um, that's really important because, you know, we're, we're trying to set people up for success. I think um, going to court um, and getting people through the process and, and just being understanding. Um, one thing that in, in the jails or the criminal justice system is a lot of folks that we have have not been respected. Um, so respect is a huge thing. Um, and I think showing people respect, um, respect to the, the you know, victims in the courtroom um, and families and things like that and create an environment where people can be held accountable, um, I think we do make a difference. And I think that's that's really important. Um, also, just, you know, keeping people calm and, and using your words to be able to talk to them and getting them through the process. Um, I think, you know, in other countries, you know, people always talk about, oh, our incarceration rates and things like that. Other countries don't have a criminal justice system like we do. You know, go to Russia. How long will you sit in prison? Go to the Middle East. How you know what yeah. kind of justice? Or go to India? Or go Watch to these, that show Locked Up Abroad? Honestly, yeah. that tells you a lot about yeah. what you need so, to know. You know Southeast Asia, yeah, not so, where you want to go. Exactly. And so, even though sometimes our justice system is slow, there is a process and. Um, I think it's very important that we preserve it. And I think corrections, I didn't know this before I got on this job, but how important the role that we play in getting people through that process. Essentially, we're the ones from since you're arrested to however you're, you know, whether you're going to prison or whether you're getting released, that entire gap between those two parts, that's up to us and we facilitate that. What would you say to people who would answer those comparisons with, well, hey, we're talking about Europe. You know, if you look at incarceration rates mm -hmm. in Europe, it's really different. Um, wh what would your answer to that be? I think it's just like when you compare Measure 110 to Portugal. It's a different yeah. world. I mean, right. if, if you go to Ireland and then you compare America, yeah. you have two different people, two different sets of folks, right? Yes. I mean, I went to Ireland and I toured the jail and they were like... Wow, wow, interesting. Yeah, um, you know, and... It, you know, they don't carry guns, and I'm right. like, yeah, but you also don't have anything like what America faces. Um, you know, for one thing I do really like about my coworkers is, you know, we get folks from, you know, Cuba, Russia, Bosnia. 
they love America. Like, they're like, man, go live in another country. You'll appreciate America. Um, and so I, you know, do, could we make fixes? Absolutely. Do we um, need to make some changes? You know, if it's if it's reasonable and um, it makes sense, 100%. Um, but I think we have a pretty darn good system. I think we can always improve, and I definitely think we need to make some improvements here in Portland. Um, but compared to other places, I mean, that, that was, so I had some friends that, that protested, you know, during the riots and things like that. And um, I said, you know, what's your idea to replace it with? You know, just, mm. you know, tell me because I'm, I'm interested. I'm open to, yeah. you know, any sort of suggestion. Like, well, we haven't, we haven't thought that far ahead, but what we have sucks, you know. Right, and like so, Ilhan Omar, just, just release everybody and wait for yeah. something beautiful to arise. I, I think, yeah, I think people would be pretty, um, I think we're pretty separated um, in Portland, Um and I don't think people realize the severity of some of the crimes and things that are being and done. And I think um, we keep a lot of people safe. Um, I think, you know, getting certain people off the street and separated from society, I think, is essential to keep a lot of people safe here in Portland. And that's one of the services we provide. Yeah, I think that's so important that you are starting to speak about this because there is a dominant narrative out there coming from somewhere uh, like I said, like that we're not not only has Oregon incarcerated people for doing drugs and people for drug possession, which as we know, untrue, um, but also that there's some narrative out there that that Oregon and, and particularly Portland prior to 2020 has just been sort of willy nilly arresting people and throwing them in jail for long periods of time um, without any idea. Uh, it, and that and that these are low level offenders like, you know, I don't know somebody who shoplifted and had his life ruined because he ended up with a felony, and what you're saying is no. The reality is the people we're incarcerating are not people you would want anywhere near you, your home, your friends, your family members, your city, generally. Correct. That's how serious the crimes are. That you all are are interfacing with i think people um forget that the murder rate is probably down because certain people have been taken off the street um say more about that it's you know if if, i i didn't think about that yeah i mean i think we missed that connection is when crime is down or you know especially certain crimes you've probably there's there's been something to change that trend and oftentimes, that is us. So um, if that's why I think it's concerning. Right. If I was a taxpayer, if they don't fund our dorms and we right. matrix out 80 to 100 and some people that probably will commit crimes, that's going to have an impact on our community. Nicole, when are you up again for these budget talks with Multnomah County? Um, usually April. So, th- so it's I, coming up. Yeah. So um, I know our sheriff uh, submitted her proposal, and they'll review it. Um, so it's coming up shortly. And in her proposal, does she need to assume that she's going to have 2% cuts then and, and figure yeah. out where there's, those are going to come from? Yep. She, she submitted her cuts. and um, um, So that's the request every time. Submit your cuts. Correct. Isn't that... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just laughing because, um, you know, Sharon Myron came on here to talk about the budget, and, and she was the only 
commissioner who voted against the budget. Billions with a B of dollars. And, and she talked about how the, the budget for Multnomah County is the size of a phone book. And I'll provide links to all these things. She's even got a picture of it. It's, I'll provide a link to that, too. It really does. It looks like a phone book. And how she couldn't read through everything in it if she wanted to. And most of it's a cut-and-paste job from prior years. Right. To just entities that are getting hundreds of millions of dollars, really, uh, distributed to them without any sort of accountability or transparency or any metrics or data about where it's going and if it's working. And, and in the meantime, what we have just learned is that the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office Corrections, specifically, which is holding, as we now know, just the most serious offenders in our region only. That's Mm. it. Yes. We're not holding anybody except, like you said, murderers, sex offenders, rapists, et cetera. And a lot of those people apparently are walking around on the street. We're not even holding all of them. Yes. Because we can't. We don't have enough space. Right. Right. And forget this other part of the equation, which I didn't even think of, which is that you're doing this courtroom work and you're watching people plead down from murder and rape and and person to person serious assault all the time, it sounds like. So so then we have this whole other segment of the population that we don't even we don't even know that they're alleged murderers or could have been convicted of that because they pled down, pleaded down. So if if that's what we're talking about here, it's just really stunning to me that these budgets keep going through the county, um, just sort of fly-by-night budgets, and mil- hundreds of millions of dollars flying out that door. And meanwhile, corrections is being asked to cut 2% every single year. And think if you actually invested... Um, this is so troubling. Yeah, and took that, that some of that money and, and opened our wing of our jail, and you took 200... You know, your goal was to take 300 people off the street. You took 250 people that were committing continual crime, whether it's property crime, um, you know, you um, or even just stealing the cars. serious offenders that, that right. y'all have had to let out. Yep, um, and held those people accountable, and and you know, give them some sort of treatment, something to redirect this behavior. Another thing is is. What I didn't realize, you know, because I don't come from a law enforcement family. I didn't know much about law enforcement at all. So I How always, did your sister come up with that as an idea for you? So my teacher, or my sister is a te- was a teacher out at David Douglas, and now she's an assistant principal. Um, and she had somebody come and talk to her health class, um, one of the deputies, um, about drug usage and things like that. Obviously, law enforcement doesn't do much of that anymore. They're, you don't have many law enforcement officers in the school. Um, right. and, and so she called me, and she told me about that. And and so, yeah. Um, and then he reached out to me. Um, but where was I going with my thought here? I I didn't realize. So you know, if you're like if you're a lawyer, you probably know a lot of lawyers, right? You know lawyers right. in Salem. You know lawyers in Portland because you went to law school and you all have a network, right? Sure. If you're a teacher or a coach, right? You know a ton of teachers and coaches, right? Because that's your world. Yeah. Now think if you're the criminal element in Portland, right? Do you not think they all kind of know each other, right? <laughs> we don't think Most about of us that. Haven't thought about like, it. so somebody comes in our module or books into jail and be like, hey, you know. So, if you start saying in Portland, we're not going to allow this behavior. We're going to hold you accountable. 
I don't care. You don't get to walk out of our stores with cartons of, you know, whatever. You don't get to go in and ransack places. You don't get to steal cars. You know why? Because Multnomah County is going to put you in jail, and they're going to give you an option of treatment, or you're going to have to serve a sentence, right? They're going to give you an option to be successful, and and if you say that you have an addiction, if you say you have whatever, um, they're going to give you an option. They all talk, and... Now, what do you think that they're talking about with Multnomah County, right? You have an endless supply of drugs on our street. Folks are not being arrested for most crimes. Um, the, the weather's not that bad. So where do you think people are coming? They're coming to Portland. Yeah. I KGW did a, I'll link to it, but they did a piece on this about how people are self-selecting to engage in crimes here because they know they're going to be out. They don't need to worry about it. Right. And you have, I mean, you have a pretty understanding community, right, that provides services. Um, and you also have, you know, Oregon Health Plan. Yeah, with all the county money that's not going to corrections. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, we, we hand you bottled water and, a, and you can have a right. thing on Narcan when you leave our jail. Is that really true? Yeah. Yeah, we have. Uh, Inverness. No, here. We only release oh, the here. downtown facility. Downtown. Okay. Um, so, so you bring people downtown, and you that, that's where all the releases are? Yep. There's an agreement with Inverness. We cannot release um, out there. So it's only the release downtown. Oh, good. Okay. Um, so you bring them downtown, you release them downtown. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, that explains a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so tell us tell us about this. You, you release somebody, and so you're not releasing, just to clarify, too, there's no halfway house, Northwest Regional Reentry Center that people go to as a matter of course, is there? They're just dumped on the streets. Sometimes it depends if um, if the judge orders it or their PO, like they can be released to a treatment facility, you know, that they'll come pick them up or they can be released to certain people like their PO. Um, but isn't that if there's still jurisdiction over yeah, them? Yeah, if if they're being clear, they're the majority gone, right? of people that they just walk out our doors, um, and and there's usually like a some tarps, a uh, bottle Jeez. of water. You can, you can have tarps. a sometimes. I well, some people at one point they don't do this anymore, but they were giving them gift cards um, to where or, or like fifty dollars. They were giving them cash or gift cards. Jeez. Um, and I'm this is like, this is funded by the county or not some not the county some nonprofit the, um, the county funded oh I'm sure they did I, or the I city of Portland we were all just Public shocked money went to whoever did this is my <sighs> opinion slash guess but yes okay yeah, it was, it, it, to but me anyway, you were told to hand these out uh, we didn't there was somebody that, that was in our lobby just handing out oh I stuff. got it I got but, it so but somebody just showed up and, and was in the public area and just handing these out to people yeah but we, but as the county we do have um, bottles of water um, tarps you can get narcan as you exit yes well as john de lorenzo the lawyer who argued for the disabled people uh under the ada lawsuit says the county hands out tents and tarps and we pay them to do that and then we pay the city to sweep them away yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, another instance of the right hand not taking the left hand I, I think people would really be shocked at the the increase in mental health uh, yes. that we have i mean so you know we used to have when i first started we had a 32 person dorm um downtown and then um 10 people in like our psychiatric area of our jail now we have two large dorms that hold over 70 people um, each 
out at Inverness, and we also have um, the 32 people downtown, and then we have the psychiatric area. I mean, it's exploded. Um, we used to never take people directly from Inverness to the state hospital, which we're doing now because, you know, the most severely mentally ill we had were downtown. Um, so it is, it's really exploded in the last few years. Which is unfortunate. I mean, and that's another argument that I make to the commissioners is, you know, the safety for anybody that wants to, to, you know, try to treat folks like this because the fluid exposure that our staff faces, like, you know, the amount of folks that will, you know, spit, throw urine, throw feces, um, things like that has gone up dramatically, um, you know, and a lot of them are suffering from mental health issues. And I said, I hope that you're accounting for that when you're trying to deal with um, a lot of the problems that Portland has. Do you have any sense of what percentage of the inmates are, are come in to the system homeless? I don't. I know, um, and I think this is another misconception of what jails do. Sometimes I've seen, especially in the colder weather and things like that, um, Portland officers, they'll arrest somebody on like a trespass or something pretty minor, and it honestly saves their lives. Um, they'll bring them into our facilities. They've got layers of clothes. They've like gone to the, you know, they, they're not using the bathroom. They're just going to the bathroom in their clothes. So we were literally get all the layers of clothes off them, get them a shower, get them checked out by medical, get them a sack lunch. This Um, is part of booking? Correct, yeah. Everybody that goes through our booking has this. And, like, we're human beings. Like, I think sometimes people um, have a, you know, not an understanding of correction steppies are human beings. I care about people. If somebody clearly needs a shower, you know, things like lice, scabies, abscesses, these are the folks we're getting, and we will get them a shower. We will get them clean clothes. We'll get them food. We'll make sure that they don't need to go to the hospital. Um, we care. I know that there's been a lot of media attention um, about you know suicides in our custody or drug overdoses, but we also save a lot of people because I don't think a lot of these folks would make it if they didn't come through our doors. So during booking, you are able to sort of in a way triage these people Mm -hmm. and to the extent they need like you said clothing food and water you can give it to them and you do it sounds like so when you come into booking in our jail um we always assess um if you have you know because a lot of folks that we have they have abscesses or if they have any sort of health issue we'll assess it if we need medical to come right up to the counter to see if they need to go to the hospital Um, And so then if somebody um, clearly is in been homeless and, you know, needs a shower, we will offer them a shower. We'll say, hey, we have a place we can have a secure shower. We'll get you soap. We'll get you towels. We'll get you some clean clothes because people donate clothes to the jail. We'll get them clean clothes. Um, You know, a lot of times they're hungry or whatever. We we give people food, um, get them a sack lunch. If they stay in our custody, they'll be assessed by medical. Make sure they'll they'll pull their medical records, um, check their vitals check out any wounds they have. Um, and then when they're in our custody, you can also request medical, um, and it's free. Um, you know, we take people to the hospital for medical appointments and things like that, and we provide care while they're in our custody. Nobody knows this. I think this is really important information. Yeah. And, it, and it's unfortunate because I think that they, the way that, that our job has been, um, you know, 
advertise to the public is, is not what we do. You know, we, we house difficult people, but we're also understanding that people that are homeless. The and, most yeah, difficult. Yes, the most difficult people. And imagine condensing that in a population. People the hospital doesn't yeah. want anymore. And being recorded 24 hours a day of your assessment of your job. <laughs> it's difficult. It's a difficult job. What's your training uh, like? Do, do you have training similar to... Portland Police, do you go to DPSST? We do for six weeks. We also have a 10-week um, field training program. You're on probation for a year. There's different landmarks you have to hit, um, you know, and, and you have to work both facilities. Um, and, you know, so you have a trainer with you for, for 10 weeks. Um, you go to the academy for six weeks. Um, so there's there's quite a bit of training um, associated with our job. And a lot of it is just learning to communicate and interact with people. Oftentimes they're difficult. Like, you know, they're suffering from mental health issues, uh, behavioral issues, things like that. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we do care about people. Like if you bring me in people that are homeless, clearly suffering from mental health issues and things like that, I'm not going to be a jerk, you know. Um, I'm going to make sure that you're cared for um, and oftentimes you're going to be released out of our facility, but at least you had a, a place that you got warm, you got checked out by medical, you're able to get a shower, um, and then you got some clean clothes. And so, so there's some intervention happening, which otherwise mm-hmm. it's really not happening on the streets of Portland, as far as I know. I don't. I mean, how sad is it that you have to be arrested to get a meal and a shower? Yeah, and a lot of people they they. They're so, you know, either, uh, you know, and from drug addiction, yeah, a, a drug addiction or, you know, mental health issues, they're not able to care for themselves. Um, and so often. I mean, none of the people on these streets, I'm looking out the window right now, a fair amount of them, none, none of the people, none of those people are able to care for themselves. I mean, people who can care for themselves don't sleep on sidewalks. Yeah. And that, and that's a lot of people in Portland. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, my hat goes off to some of these officers in Portland. Like yeah. they're, we have some really good police officers in Portland. I, I didn't really know any of them. You know, I didn't know any police officers until I started doing this and they genuinely care. Um, you know, they, they'll bring them in. They're like, yeah, you know, like just seeing them there, you know, like I can't just leave somebody there to die. Right. Did that surprise you? Because you didn't have a law enforcement background mm-hmm. before going into corrections. Did yeah. that, did those attitudes surprise you? It did, and I think one of the biggest um, things that shocked me was when I worked in the court system um, in you know before COVID, uh, seeing how professional a lot of the detectives and the Portland police officers were, like that used to be the gang unit, then the gun violence reduction team, um, they cared about the people. They were trying to intervene and break the cycle for a lot of the gang members here in Portland. They would be the only people there at some of these trials. Um, they just did their job well. Um, you know, obviously we sit in on... Is this one of those units that was eliminated in 2020? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, um, that's not happening anymore. Yeah. And, um, you know, my sister was a teacher, and she loved her SROs. She's like, yeah. they, they, the when there was a shooting... Yeah, also like, eliminated in 2020. Yeah. When, she, when there was a shooting, they showed up. They care about the kids. You know, oftentimes her spouse was a teacher. They, they made sure that, you know, they were safe. She's like, 
they, they make us feel safe in the schools, right? And they, they care about the kids. Because um, you don't want to just get wrapped up in the juvenile justice system, um, you know, when you can right. prevent that with um, SROs. So I think a lot of the effective programs um, that we had have been cut, and I think that's unfortunate. And, and and part of it is we need to tell the public about this. Like, you know, what works? Um, you know, when you're preventing stuff, oftentimes that doesn't get a lot of news. Um, yeah, everybody thinks. I, I mean, I've heard over and over again, I just heard this. The other day when I was co-hosting that Northwest Fresh YouTube show, I heard one of the guests said the money wasn't defunded from the police. It was reallocated. And I just immediately thought of those programs you just talked about. Yeah. And I, I thought about how, you know, when Aaron Schmaltz was on this podcast, the head of the Portland Police Association, the Portland Police Union, he said, you know, unless those are refunded, they're not coming back. And even if they came back, all the knowledge is gone. Mm-hmm. They would, the relationships are gone. They would have to start from the very beginning. Yeah, and building trust. And, and I think and building trust. And I think as much as we have touted, you know, equality and all these different things in Portland, like who do you think is being impacted the most by all this crime? It is the working class, poor communities, like in out, out, outer southeast, how are you supposed to be able to do better when you can't get your car from, you know, you, people are stealing late models, Toyotas, Hondas. These communities are being affected the most because if you can afford to move out of Portland, a lot of folks have moved out or they and, um, install a security system. But, you know, I'll sit in court and people are saying, my car was stolen and we're having to save up every month to replace a tire Or, you know, one lady that really stuck with me, she was a widow. She's like, I went into Fred Meyer. You know, I'm on a fixed income. I come out, my car is gone. And now they don't even send police officer to take my report. And they they found my truck, but she's like, it was destroyed. And she's like, I can't afford to go buy a new car. And she's like, why is this person not being held accountable? They should be. You know, you don't get it. To impact people's lives like this yeah, and not these are have people any people whose lives are ruined by something yeah. that seems like quote unquote simple property damage. Because they have no they don't have any money, right? Like they they are living paycheck to paycheck, they're living in apartments, they maybe have one car to get to work. When you are continually stealing from this part of our community, you should be held accountable. And that is my argument to the, the commissioners and hopefully to the community that, you know, these folks don't get to just keep preying on this segment of our society. They need to be held accountable and create a safe environment for these people to be able to, you know, move up the socioeconomic ladder. Because right now, we're not letting them because they can't keep their stuff from getting stolen. Yeah, this is true in regard to homicides, too. I don't know if you remember this, but August 11th, 2021, Willamette Week came out with this article, Black Portlanders are more likely to be murdered than their peers in cities better known for crime. And, you know, yes, this was in 2021, but, again, that just wasn't that long ago. I mean, we just started 2024, and it's just incredible to me how we dismiss these kinds of statistics. We, When you look at the victims of these crimes, they're allegedly the people we claim to care the most about. Right. The poor the minorities, um, particularly black people, diverse people, like you said, who live in East County, that's where the crime rate is really high. Yeah. And, and they're really suffering. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I come, I came from a working class background and I know 
my family was able to climb up the ladder because there was an environment where you could be successful. And if we don't have an environment where folks can, you know, be able to go to work and be able to accumulate, you know, things in your apartment and have a car and not constantly having to replace the windshield on your car or, you know, the windows and or get your car stolen or have the tires burned off of it or anything like that. I mean, we're not creating an environment for people to flourish. And I think that that, no. that is not just. No. I, it's really alarming. And I, I appreciate you bringing that to everybody's attention because nobody talks, nobody talks enough about it. Talk to me about um, Narcan. How, how many people, do you even know how many people you've Narcan total? A lot. A lot. Is it just so many you wouldn't even know? It's a lot. Um, we, um, you know, four grains of fentanyl can be a lethal dose. That's not very much. And, um, and you can have two exact pills and you don't know. One of them can be fatal and one of them can... Be, you know, whatever, like what you're, what you're aiming for. Um, so we are supposed to have a track, and this has been one of my big arguments as far as the union is, is like, we need a better way to track this yeah. because we haven't really been tracking how many people we've saved. Okay, and so, so there isn't data on this. So you wouldn't no. even be able to look this up, Nicole. You no. don't even know. No, and, and um, I think medical now is starting to track it because they're obviously they respond. But that is one of the things that I want the community to know, and I wish I had hard data for folks, is, you know, we've saved a lot of people. Like when I say, like, just me personally have been part of four of them, you know, either personally Narcan or doing compressions, you know, being part of saving people's lives. Um, and I know at the courthouse, you know, one day, out, one day, you know, in the bathroom, somebody's completely, they're almost like they're Caucasian, but they're almost black because there's no blood circulation. Narcanum oh comes back, they leave. You know, yeah. this, you know, we have people like drug up to the front of our justice system because they're they're dead, they're overdosing, right? So we Narcanum, get them in the ambulance. Um, so we've we've saved a lot of people. I wish I could tell you how many. But it's it's been a lot. Yeah, and even, um, you know, I, I've been on our, our agency to track how many of our staff members have been explode, exposed to bodily fluid. I said, you know, the rates of people that are, you know, oftentimes have mental health issues that are, you know, spitting, throwing urine, throwing poop or whatever. I was like, we need to track that better so I can show people kind of what we're up against. Because, um, you know, people want data, which rightly so. I can't just say it's a lot. You know, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they'll um, dismiss you. Right. Out so. I um, I'm doing what I can. I've only done this position for a year. I just got elected for two more years, um, so I'm I'm really pushing to be able to track these things better. Um, but what people also don't understand is we are 24/7. You know, there is not a day that our jails yeah. are not running. Every day. You know, and there's always something going on. Um, so it is hard oftentimes. You know, you don't ever have a break. We have to keep our facilities open all the time. Um, and so sometimes some of these things get, you know, they fall through the cracks, which we're trying to fix. How did you, well, actually, let's go back to that for a minute. I know we don't have data on it, but can you at least talk about what you've seen and what you know in regard to this bodily fluid issue, because I think people need to hear about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, people that have mental health issues, oftentimes like it, it's hygiene issues and they'll act out, uh, because you know, we've, 
give people trays when they feed in like mental health units, like through a port. Well, oftentimes um, they will have bodily fluids in cups or anything like that. And sometimes we can't give, um, you know, we have to get the cups back from folks um, because they will decide on that day they're going to throw feces or urine urine or spit on our staff um so we're i've really pushed the sheriff um to make these um secure food ports when we have them in some of our areas um where you have to have multiple mechanisms in order to um you know be able to feed where you, you won't be exposed to having fluid thrown on you nicole how with that kind of Thing going on with those conditions who how do you even get people to do these jobs um it's a good job I mean you have good benefits you have good insurance um you get to work with really cool people um it's uh it's challenging um it, it definitely I think in law enforcement in general obviously you know like Washington County I mean they're having a hard time too and they've had to shut down some of their beds wow um because of staffing wow and obviously we're struggling with staffing as well um but it is a challenging job and like it, this doesn't happen every day um and no, but it sounds like it also isn't rare right and you know our job a lot of it is monotonous and it's um day-to-day things um sure. but i think what makes this job for me is the folks i work with i really like my coworkers. they're they're a great group of people you know they have i think the way we resolve a lot of different things in in custody and, and dealing with uh, inmates is through humor you know you can kind of uh, you have to kind of navigate that between, you know, you call, you know, somebody calls you out or you call somebody out and you can really de-escalate things through humor. So a lot of our, our folks are pretty funny, um, unique personalities, um, and a, a very, very diverse group of folks we have, um, that work for us. And I think, um, you know, obviously we have a lot of discrimination, harassment, uh, policies in place within MCSO. But I don't think any of those things would fly in general just because we like each other. And I think we've reached that point of, like, genuine, you know, mixing of cultures, races, and we respect each other um, and appreciate each other, which I think is, like, pretty amazing. I would not think that a law enforcement agency would would be the the one to show, like, a diverse group that gets along and respects each other. Um, But here we are. And so accepting and... Yeah, it sounds like doesn't even really need acceptance. It's just an unsaid camaraderie. Yeah, like I'm a gay female that works there. They don't give. They nobody cares. Yeah. Like they don't care, right? I mean, we've had uh, deputies, you know, transition. Um, you know, we had transgender, you know, deputies. We have a fair amount of gay folks. We have obviously multiple races, cultures, religions, um, and none of us care. Just do your job and get along with us and, you know, yeah. What else do you want people to know about corrections? Are there issues that we haven't talked about, anything like that? Um, I just think we're, I didn't, I didn't realize until I got into this, the vital part of corrections in the criminal justice system. You know, I know um, in the media we talk a lot about law enforcement um, as far as, you know, police officers and different programs and things like that. Um, most of the people that, that are going to come through our doors go out the door. Um, we can be the stopgate and redirect behavior. I think, like, that has not been talked about because it's not, it's not you know, um, it's not fun. You know, a, a lot of the stuff that you can make, you know, movies about and TV series, you know, 
but are very impactful. That's what we do. Um, and, you know, I, and there's a lot of people that I've worked with within programs, um, you know, and, and on the um, resource size counselors, program managers, they genuinely care about people. They don't have some hidden agenda. They're not trying to move up the political scale here. They just want to help people. And I think you really need to tap into those folks. And oftentimes they work in the county jails um, to provide more resources um, for for the people that, that are suffering um, on our streets or committing crime. Um, I think I think if we could if we could be part of that solution, I think um, I, I hope that we're not left out of the conversation, I guess. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Thank you.